All right, I want you to take your Bibles toward the end of the New Testament, 1 John chapter 2, and I, I want us to look in this third message of Check Your Heart on the subject of don't buy the lies. Don't buy the lies. There are a lot of lies being sold today, and uh, we live in a world where truth is relative, and it's your opinion is about truth is valid whether it's wrong or not and every man's doing what's right in his own eyes and so how do we live and respond in that kind of world here's what i do know we have made an idol of tolerance we're afraid to speak truth anymore because we want to be tolerant we should be respectful of everybody But if somebody is telling a lie, we shouldn't ignore it, especially when it comes to the gospel, especially when it comes to the word of God. And one of the issues we have in the American church today is there's little difference in the behavior of those who are not in a church, do not identify as Christians, and those who just identify as they're lost, atheist, agnostic, there's very little difference. Uh, between us because we've lost our distinctiveness, our desire to be salt and light. So let's look at the first thing. The world is deceptive. Verse 15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, And the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. John is dealing with how we think, respond, react, and what is our attitude about this world. When he's talking about world, you can interchange the word word darkness. When when John uses this word darkness, he's talking about the world. When he talks about the world, he's talking about darkness. They're, They're interchangeable. It's the world system. He's not talking about the planet. He's talking about the values of this world, the the system by which this world operates, the the principles by which it operates, the godless nature of this world system that has rejected God and rejected his son, Jesus Christ. It's actively opposed to the things of God. And he says, do not, it's a command, love the world. Don't love anything that dilutes my love for God as a child of the king. Don't settle for anything that takes away from my passion for God and for Christ and for the things of God. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We are citizens of heaven, and we are also citizens of earth. But one day, our citizenship on earth will end, and we will be citizens of heaven. So we need to live like we're citizens of heaven. Vance Havner said, I used to say the world is going to the dogs, but I quit out of respect for dogs. Amen. There's a threefold description of the world that John gives us. First of all, 
is the lust of the flesh. Anything that solicits my fleshly appetites, that, that wants control of my life. Uh, we know we live in a country with a serious opioid addiction, and it's because people have bought the lie that this is going to make me happy, and this is going to make me satisfied, and this is going to fulfill me, but it's never enough. It's never enough. The lust of the flesh, anything that is an appetite out of control, the lust of the eyes, that's coveting. You remember Eve in Genesis, Achan in Joshua, and David when he sinned with Bathsheba, there are three phrases used with all three. I saw, I coveted, I took. The lust of the eyes, we see something, we want it, and we take it, even if we're not supposed to have it. It's envy, it's desiring something that's not supposed to be in our lives, something that somebody else has, wanting something that someone else has, and we, we would rather have it than them, and we think we deserve it more than them. The boastful pride of life. The, the Greek word, the tone is a braggart, or someone who is arrogant. And uh, I, I don't know, I don't know if you've ever met people like this, but I've met people who could strut sitting down. That's, what the, that's what's going on here. And there's a word that we're using more and more in our culture, and it defines the boastful pride of life. Narcissistic. Narcissistic. Everything is about me. Everything is about pleasing me, what I want, how I feel. And there's nothing about others in the life. You see, this is a law of diminishing returns. It does not produce satisfaction. It does not produce peace or joy in our lives. It, it is depreciation. The world system breeds discontent and never can meet the discontent with what it offers. It can never fulfill us. It was not meant to fulfill us. We were meant for something better than what this world has to offer. So here's the world. Now, what about the Antichrist? Antichrist are deceptive, verse 18. Children. I love that John, again, of course, John was probably close to 90 when he wrote this, but, but he, he calls them children. He says, you, you got you to gotta understand that as a believer, as a person that follows Jesus Christ, there are people out to woo you just like they try to deceive children. Now, would you let somebody selling drugs come inside your house and give them to your grandchildren or your children? Just come on in. Just come on in. I know they're going to be addicts, and I know that they're going to be in rehab, and I know they're going to struggle with this. Just come on in. I, I don't want to say no to anybody or anything. You wouldn't do that. Somebody shows up at your front door, and they've decided they want your TV, and they, they want your stuff more than you want it. You know, well, just come on in and steal it. I won't call the police. And yet, when the spirit of Antichrist shows up, we bow up. And we say, well, why would we say anything against that? That's, everybody's got a right to their own opinion. You do, but if you're wrong, you're still wrong. So he says, children, it is the last hour. 
just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, what? What's the word? Many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. By the way, most cults and false religions are spinoffs of people that at one point said they were Christians, but they got enlightened with something else. That's how you know they're not of us, because there's false teaching going on. G.K. Chesterton said, when people abandon truth, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. You don't have to be around long to realize that people will believe anything. I mean, they'll just believe, you can tell them the most outlandish story, and they go, oh, I believe that, I believe that. Listen, if you believe that, I have swampland in Arizona that I would love to sell you. Don't be naive. John is saying, don't be naive, don't be gullible. Here's how heresy starts. It starts with a partial truth, and it spins off into a false religion, a false system, scams, abound and people are deceived here's the danger and we have a lot of this and because of the access to so much through the internet and through social media I mean you can watch people anywhere in the world at any time you want to watch them preach or teach or talk or whatever they do here's the problem one week they may be spot on about what the Bible says. But the next week, out of fear that it might cause them to lose a crowd, they'll compromise. And they'll water it down, or they'll ignore it. You see, the test of a teacher is not sincerity. You could be sincere and be self-deluded. The test of a teacher is not sincerity. You can be sincere and be wrong. The test of a teacher is not signs. The devil can do miracles. The test of a real teacher is not that they perform signs. I mean, just read the book of Acts and see how Paul dealt with that. The test of a teacher is not their skills. There are great communicators out there. They're just not preaching the truth. They're hip. I'm not hip. Sorry. I never was hip. I don't care to be hip. Because hip, about the time you become hip, it goes out of style. I mean, with everything that is within me, I am praying for God to end skinny jeans. <laughs> and leggings are not pants. And don't go to the grocery store in your pajamas. You may not think there's a problem with it, but the rest of the world knows there's a problem with it. <laughs> it's not hip. It's not cool. It's, it's not how good the stage looks. The, the test is we have to be careful who we listen to. 
Everybody that speaks should not speak into our lives. The test of every teacher is doctrinal. What do they believe about Jesus? That's the test of a teacher. Not if they're cool, not if they're hip, not if they say that they perform miracles. I mean, there are half a dozen guys out there that say they're raising people from the dead. I promise you, even CNN and Fox would show up if somebody was raising people from the dead. Nobody to verify it. No person that stands here, yes, I was dead for four days, just like Lazarus. But I got raised from the dead. The test is what you believe about Jesus. Does a person believe that he is the sinless son of God, that he's virgin born, that he died on the cross not for his sins but for the sins of others, that he was in a grave, that he rose from the dead, that he was seen by over 500 people after his resurrection, he ascended to the Father, and he's coming back. If they don't believe that, they're a heretic. It's that simple. I mean, it's not hard. All you have to do is read the Gospels. Either Jesus is who he said he is, or we have all wasted this Sunday morning. So, if I deny any scripture, I deny all of it. Now, when I went through seminary, we had some professors that taught in seminary who were lost because they taught that the first 11 chapters of Genesis were all a fairy tale. Well, I mean, all I knew is what I heard growing up in Sunday school, but I knew this. That guy wasn't there when it happened. And that guy hadn't been revealed that from the Father like Moses had had it revealed to him when he wrote it. And the Jewish faith is by nature a passed-down narrative of telling the story until your children can repeat the story the way you told it so that the next generation can tell the story the way it was told to them so that the next generation can tell the story the way it was told to them. And for generations, the story never changed until liberal theologians came into Germany and said, oh, well, this, doesn't, this is not true. This doesn't matter. Hey, if you're not an eyewitness to it, don't knock it. Don't knock it. You see, if you don't believe any of the Scripture, any part of it, you don't believe the Scripture. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, let me ask you something. Pick your verse that you don't believe and then tell me why you don't believe that, but you do believe John 3.16. How do you know? You weren't there. We take it by faith because God's revealed his word and the word is inerrant and infallible. It has no errors. It is sufficient for all things. It's not a book of moral lessons and behavior modification. It's a book about changing our lives through the power of the truth of God's word. What we have today is often culturally correct, politically correct, and biblically wrong. We've got to make sure we don't offend anybody. So like, for instance, when I prayed over the United States Congress several years ago, I had to submit my prayer, and it had to be approved 
and I had to pray it as written so that it would be approved. And yet, in that same room, there's an image of Moses on the back wall to remind the Congress that we operate according to the ten laws given down from God to Moses on Mount Sinai. We don't get to approve whether we like those ten laws or not. Those ten laws tell us how we're supposed to live. And we can't even live up to them. You see, you can be politically correct and biblically wrong. They will say things like the Bible is an authority, but it's not the authority. Well, then what is the authority? Peanuts cartoons? What's the authority? Something has to be the final authority. Something has to be the final word, the set word that is given to us. Verse 22. Who is the what? What's the word? Okay, everybody got your Bibles? Who is the what? Liar. But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Now, what that means is every religion that says it's something or someone some book, some person, some experience other than Jesus Christ or in addition to Jesus Christ is a liar. They're a liar. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Now, let me just point out, verse 22, Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. If you go to Israel, if you go to the Temple Mount, where the temple was built, torn down, rebuilt, where one day a temple will be there again, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, and Jesus will rule on the throne of David. That's what the Bible tells us. There is a big dome on the top of the Temple Mount built to a false idea about God. And on the wall, up above at the top, it has verses. And it says, see, the devil steals everything, folks. He steals everything. It says on the top, God has no Son. You know what the fastest growing religion in the world is? The religion that says God has no son. Well, I'm going to tell you something. He has a son. And if he didn't have a son, you'd be lost. And those who don't believe he has a son are lost. That's why we take the gospel everywhere and anywhere because the world needs to know that God so loved the world that he gave his only what? Son, begotten son, unique, one-of-a-kind son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the greatest danger is not unbelief, it's wrong beliefs. It's wrong. It's to believe that something other than Jesus or some way other than the way of Jesus can get you to heaven. 
It's not unbelief, it's wrong belief. Now, he says here, the last hour. The translators inserted thee, but I think you can also say there it's not the definite article. It's a last hour. We're living in a last hour. There will be the last hour, but every hour since Pentecost, we're in the last days. We're in the last hours. Two or three things about this. First of all, it's a repetitive cycle. This has been going on. John warned them about this in the first century. This has been going on for 2,000 years. It's nothing new. We are always going to be in a battle with heresies and with false teaching. Ray Steadman said, a descending spiral of repetitive events moving at last to the coming again of the Son of God on earth. Now what this means is, is that as time goes on and as we keep moving toward the end of time and toward the second coming, this cycle is narrowing and the pace is picking up. My grandparents wouldn't believe what America is like today. My grandparents left their keys in the car and they left their doors unlocked at night. They never thought about locking. They'd leave and go to town and leave their doors unlocked. Hey, we live in a world 50, 60 years later where you lock your doors when you're in your house. Why? Because we're in a narrowing cycle that is speeding up. And it's getting worse and worse. This is not like the Indy 500 where you just go around the same circle over and over Evil builds on top of evil, and evil intensifies, and evil multiplies, and you think we've got it bad now? Wait for another 50 years, should the Lord tarry, and see what kind of mess we're in. I mean, there are things happening in my, my lifetime. I lived through the 60s. I know they say if you did drugs, you don't remember it, but I lived through the 60s. And I can tell you, in the 60s, when things started to come loose, nobody then thought it would be like this. And you know what everybody discovered pretty much? Except a few guys I see in Gatlinburg every now and then with, they still look like they're trying to be hippies and they're in their 70s. But you know what they discovered? Free love wasn't free. And what their idea of peace and love and joy didn't, Fulfill, and it, so it just kind of withered away. And now it's just more evil, and it's more subtle. The enemy intensifies his efforts. It's a repetitive cycle. It's going to get worse. Listen, we, we cannot fight this with carnal weapons, nor can we fight it as if it's just a nuisance. Evil is not like a gnat. Evil is like a roaring lion seeking whom it may devour. Secondly, these antichrists infiltrate. They infiltrate. They try to get into everything. They try to get into government, into, into politics, into schools, into families. And the word antichrist is used over and over again. It simply means instead of Christ, they're imposters. Now there will be a final antichrist. Chapter 4 and verse 3 says... The spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. 
They, they pull you aside and then apart. They, they'll try to pull you aside. Hey, come over here. I got some new truth for you. I got this new idea. I've got this concept. I've got this thought. In fact, you can go in some hotels and they'll have a Gideon Bible and another book sitting right there. And I've gone in on where the Gideon Bible's been stuck in the back of the drawer and the other book's been stuck on top of the nightstand. They'll pull you aside. They'll cause division. They'll cause confusion. They'll resist the Spirit of Christ. They'll reject the Spirit of Christ. They'll renounce the Spirit of Christ. And we cannot be surprised. Turn a page over to 1 John 4. 1 John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. You listen to somebody preach, you listen to a podcast, you read their book, you ought to test it by the scripture. That's why you ought to have your Bibles open and you ought to pay attention and you ought to take notes because you test the Spirit. How do you do that? The Spirit of Christ says, eh, it's not quite right. They didn't clarify who Jesus was. Well, I want to be Waterford crystal clear here. Jesus is the only way to heaven. The Word breaks the change of deception and slavery, 1 John 2, 24. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, the Spirit of God in us agrees with the Word of God in our hands, and it bears, they bear witness to one another. And is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. You see, we never live in victory until we know that we are saved. Not doubt, not fear, not up and down. I think I'm saved one day, saved next. You know, I got saved when I was five, got saved when I was eight, got saved when I was 13, got saved when I was 18, got saved when I was 27, got saved when I was 45, got saved when I was 64. Would somebody come and pray for me that I'd be saved on my deathbed? You get saved once. That's what the word abide, it means to take residence in Christ. He abides in you, and you abide in him. Six times, he uses the word abide. He doesn't say, abide, and then you'll quit, and then come back, and then you'll quit, and come back. The Spirit came to live and to stay. The anointing which you have received. You see, salvation is an inner experience, but it's a permanent experience. It's a permanent experience. Now, when I say that, I also need to say you have to define salvation biblically. Salvation is not joining a church. It is not being baptized. Salvation is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where you admit that you're a sinner and that you cannot save yourself and you give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ and he changes the direction of your life. The anointing of the Spirit enables you to know the truth. 
Jesus said in John 16, you will know the truth. He will guide you into all truth. You see, truth never changes. Truth is always truth. Why is it that we have now developed a system where 2 plus 2 equals 4 unless you feel like it doesn't? Or 5 times 5 is 25 unless you feel like it might be 45. You see, we apply laws that cannot be changed in algebra, in geometry, in math, in science. I, I had a guy say to me one time when I was in youth ministry, he said, I don't believe in the laws of God. I said, well, let me tell you, every law that we have was initiated by God. We just discovered them. And there's a law called gravity. If you don't believe it, Just go stand on top of a building and jump. I promise you, you won't go up. You will go down. Or you'll be like the guy that jumped off an eight-story building when he hit the fifth floor. He said, so good, so far so good. He hadn't hit bottom yet. We haven't hit bottom with the illusion that truth is relative. It's going to continue to go. But truth is truth. He says, as for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. God's word doesn't need to be updated. It needs to be applied. Now turn a couple of more pages. 2 John, verse 9. 2 John and verse 9. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. In other words, you get away from Jesus, you're in trouble. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Here he goes back. You can't have God the Father without God the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Let me just simplify this. If someone is a false teacher and does not abide in the teachings of Christ, but they've gone out into some cult or some false religion, even if they invite you to go to Chick-fil-A and they will pay, don't go with them. Don't listen to them. You say, well, I think I could argue with them. I promise you, every Jehovah's Witness knows more about what they believe than the average Christian that answers their door. They're indoctrinated. They're, they study. We just kind of say, well, I'm saved. Pick up my Bible on Sunday, not look at it the rest of the week. I'm saved. I got Jesus. That's all I need. And somebody comes and says something evil or wrong, are distorted about Jesus, and the average evangelical in America doesn't even know it because they're not testing the spirits. Don't greet them. Some of you have had this experience. You know, somebody comes and knocks at your door and they got some material they want to hand out to you and give you. 
So you, you say everything you know, and they know just enough to know they don't know as much as they should know, so they come back the next week, walk your neighborhood, knock on the door, and they brought somebody who knows more. And now all you're doing is wasting your breath arguing with somebody whose eyes are blinded by the enemy. Can I tell you something? It's a better use of your time to go share the gospel with somebody that doesn't know anything than to argue with somebody who just wants to get in an argument. I'm not saying we shouldn't care. Well, I mean, that's why we put missionaries around this world. I'm not saying we shouldn't care for those that are in false religions. I'm just saying most of us are not equipped for the argument. We're not equipped for the apologetics. We don't know how to defend our faith. And what ends up is we get confused. And that's why he says, children. Because too often we are nothing more than children. Verse 26 says, those who are trying to deceive you or lead you astray. You see, the word tests the spirit and the spirit tests the word. Lee Samuel says, the spirit of God takes the word of God to make children of God. Six times he says abide, to settle down. Our heart abides in him. Look at verse 29, chapter 2 and verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, talking about Jesus, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. And so there's three things. First of all, a spirit-controlled mind knows and understands truth. A spirit-controlled mind knows and understands truth. A spirit-controlled heart loves truth. And a spirit-controlled will obeys truth. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, have as our ambition to be pleasing to him. So in verse 29, John sums up the Christian life, what to look for in somebody. Remember, this is a test. If we're really believers, if we're really in the family of faith, this is a test. And he sums it up in verse 29. He says, he is righteous, and he uses two words, practices righteousness. Practices righteousness. Warren Wiersbe put it this way. A person who professes to be a Christian, but who does not live in obedience, love, and truth, is either deceived or a deceiver. A person who professes to be a Christian but does not live in obedience, love, and truth is either deceived or a deceiver. Our job is not to force ourselves on anybody, but our job is to stand up for the truth about Jesus Christ. Because how else are they going to hear if they don't hear it from us? Now, who are you listening to on a podcast? Whose best-selling book are you reading that if you went through it with your Bible open, you would start saying, whoa, that's not true. Test the spirits. Hey, can I tell you something? You ought to be testing the spirits with me. You shouldn't just come and just say, well, he said it. It must be true. 
you ought to know your Bible well enough to test the spirits with me if, if I'm telling the truth about Jesus or not. And if I'm not, you ought to fire me. If the church wouldn't fire me, if I told a lie about Jesus, you ought to go find another church. It's that important. Because the truth about Jesus is not negotiable. And it's not in the fine print in the contract. It's on every page. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Let's pray together.